takes courage to go inside and sometimes remember things that are not fun to remember and to struggle with, with you know, facing our own inner demons. So that's the heroic part of it, that the rewards are indescribable and infinite. And basically, if you're going to wrap them up into one word, it's freedom. So that we no longer have to be making choices out of unhealed past traumas and stuff that happened to us when we were five or 10 or 15, and that we can bring choice back into the equation. And we get to be who we are, wherever we are, and, and choose what our life is going to be about and what we do with it. Hey everybody, we're recording this podcast intro the day after our first post-COVID dinner party. We did a lot to get ready, mm-hmm. to get the house ready for that dinner party. So if you're noticing uh, that our energy is a little low, don't let that deter you from listening to this episode because mm-hmm. it's a really, really lovely, That's inspirational, so helpful yeah. episode with Christian De La Huerta. But yeah, when you, when you talk about it a little bit. Yeah, let's do the hook. Is your ego running your show? Are you making choices guided by fear? What would it be like to put your purpose and your soul in charge? How would your life be different if you did that? Spoiler alert, you'd have more freedom, more real power, and you'd be able to join with others to create the sustainable world we all need because it is all hands on deck time. Hello, hotties. Welcome to the weekly podcast for people craving a sense of connectedness, a dose of empathy, a glimpse of the way forward, and an opportunity to engage. Mm -hmm. Our guest this week is Christian De La Huerta, a spiritual teacher, personal transformation coach, and leading voice in the soulful breathwork community. Not only is Christian one of the warmest, loveliest humans we've had the privilege to speak with so far, he is a kindred spirit who challenged us to think bigger, so much bigger. When there isn't a pandemic on, Christian travels the world leading inspiring and transformational retreats and treks that combine psychological and spiritual teachings with lasting and life-changing effects. He's recently published the book, Awakening the Soul of Power, described by multiple Grammy Award winner Gloria Stefan as a balm for the soul of anyone searching for truth and answers to life's difficult questions. How amazing to get a book blurb from Gloria Stefan, as well as so many other people. Mm-hmm. And Christian talks with us about the hero's journey, our favorite, giving our egos the right job, why connecting with our personal power is a good thing, and he presents us with multiple paths to that authentic power. Stick around for an enriching conversation that takes us and you from the metaphorical stadium out into the cosmos. It's full of practical ideas for real life and big inspiring visions that definitely left us feeling well-fed body and soul. Fair warning, we start the interview with about a four minute breathing exercise slash guided meditation. We hope everyone listening will breathe along with us. Mm -hmm. But if you're driving or operating equipment or trying to stay kind of on the down low in your office now that you're back after COVID, (laughs) uh, you might want to put this episode on hold and return to it at another time when you can... Give it your full attention. Give it your full attention. Absolutely. All right. Ready? 
Wait, but before we get started, I just want to remember to ask our beloved listeners, our beloved hotties, to take just a minute to leave us a testimonial comment or review on Podchaser, iTunes, or our website. It would mean a lot to us to get your feedback and comments, and it will help other hotties find us so we can do even greater things. So go to podchaser.com slash here together to leave a five-star rating. Okay, ready for the checklist now? Yes, uh, the cats are secure. Well, there's still just one cat. We are yeah. still we are still two weeks away from having two pod cats again, and Munchie just he's not he's not secured. He's no, squirrely. He's, sad he's a, li- he's and a little anxious. And yep. Yeah, he's yep. a mess. We're gonna get him a kitten. That's gonna fix everything. Right, kittens fix everything. <laughs> so is the tape rolling? Yes, check. Caffeine at optimal levels. I don't think there's enough caffeine that would fix the late night In that I had last night. In the world. Yeah. 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 But we're here. We're here we're for here. you all. We're we doing are here. It. Yep. Yeah, we don't give up. Microphones are hot. Check. We, we are, are here, here together. together. Welcome, everybody, to the Here Together podcast, and we're just handing it right over to Christian De La Huerta. Uh, Well, first of all, uh, Charles and Kelly, thank you so much for having me. And so it all began by just, we're going to focus on the breath. And in so many traditions all over the world and in many secular languages, the same word can mean spirit or breath, depending on how we use it, depending on context. So we're going to use the breath just for a couple of minutes to center ourselves, to connect with ourselves and with each other and with something greater than ourselves. Hmm. And so we simply begin by closing our eyes and sitting up with the spine straight, if that feels comfortable. And we begin to pay attention to the breath. We begin to notice the inhale and the exhale. And in doing so, we might begin to notice subtle differences between them. Just relaxing, allowing the body to relax and begin to release stress and worries and exhaustion. And we allow that process to be effortless. So the temperature might be slightly different as the air comes in or out of your mouth or your nose, or where the air caresses the back of your throat, or your nasal cavity might be slightly different as it enters or leaves your body. That simple act of noticing the breath begins to deepen our connection with it. And we allow ourselves to again continue following the breath, allowing it to guide us deeper and deeper within ourselves. And we can think of a metaphor of a wave as it comes into the shore. So as we inhale, we allow ourselves to be filled with that wave of energy and life force and purification. 
and power. And then as the wave recedes, as we exhale, we allow it to bring with it anything that doesn't belong in our bodies. So starting with those things we were mentioning before, the tiredness, the exhaustion, the stress, the worries, just let it all go. Even if for just a few minutes, we let it go. As we allow that wave of breath to continue filling us and energizing us and cleansing us. We allow that process to continue on its own through our time together in this conversation. And as you're ready, you can begin to bring yourselves back. Already feeling more present and more centered and more energized. And we hope all you listeners are feeling those same feelings of presence and centeredness, peace, and are ready for some fantastic guidance and information and inspiration during this during this hour or so. We're so happy to have you here, Kristen. Thank you. Thank you again for agreeing to be on the podcast. And thank you for agreeing to, to start us off that way and in a way that I'm guessing is really authentic for you. You've been doing <laughs> breath work for 20 years? 30, 30. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. But first, we're going to ask you before we talk more about that. Oh, yeah. We always want to know from our guests, what did 10-year-old little Christian want to be when he grew up? <laughs> that is such a funny question. You know, I grew up my first 10 years of life in Cuba under, you know, under communism. So much to say about that. But one of the things for which I'm really grateful is that we had a TV, but there was nothing worth watching. So <laughs> we grew up reading. You know, so I developed this lifelong love affair with books. We also grew up grew up inventing our own games and creating our pastimes. And for that, I'm really, really grateful because I think it helps to foster creativity and to develop that. But, you know, some of the books that my parents had lying around, so my earliest heroes, besides Tarzan, were, um, the, you know, reading the lives of the Christian saints. So back then, I used to have a fantasy that I wanted to be a saint. <laughs> That's the first time we've heard that one. <laughs> Well, and, and to even take it a step further in, in complete this full disclosure, I wanted to be a martyr. Like, uh -huh. like to me, that, that was it. Like that was the highest thing you could do is to give your life serving the sacred or for the conviction. Thankfully, I no longer have martyr fantasies. <laughs> but you are serving the sacred. I don't think it's too, too much With, of a stretch to, mm -hmm. to say without that. Without a doubt. No, without a doubt. Without a doubt. That, that I completely own and, and it feels congruent with who I am. Like, I also grew up, you know, in my teenage years thinking that I wanted to be a priest. So that desire to serve the sacred has always been there. Uh, discovered that the religion in which I was raised, the Catholic religion, didn't really have space for me, didn't have room for me. So, I, you know, like many of us, I, I threw the baby out with a baptismal water and <laughs> <laughs> took me a while, took me some years, probably my 20s, to begin to reconnect with my spiritual nature and find ways of expressing it that were a match and congruent with who I am. 
And these days I feel like I am playing that priestly role in, in yeah. the highest sense of the word that, you know, I don't need to be ordained by anybody to know that I help people to reconnect with that in, the, in their own lives. Yeah, and I almost, I almost think that it's as much an archetypal energy as it is a profession or a calling. I mean, there's mm, been times, mm-hmm. I don't know if you'd agree with this, but that, you know, there's been times when I've been working with boys or with men where I've felt, you know, sort of sage wisdom, priest wisdom come forward and, and the ability to bless somebody else to mm-hmm. say, I'm, I'm going to give you a blessing. This is just coming. This is just coming through me. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not yes. about me. It's not about you. Yeah, it's I don't not even, your ego blessing even, anybody. It's yeah. it's something deeper or higher. Or yeah, whatever. and I don't, you know, I don't even know if it's true. If this blessing is mm-hmm. true, I don't even know if it's right for you. But this is what's. Mm-hmm. This is what's showing up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I resonate with that. I, that feels right. The next question is is just you know your your book, you know book one, awakening the soul to power, and it's book one in the the hero chronicles and that's not right the the what do you call, call it the calling all heroes calling all heroes yeah and it's yeah. a very clear calling you you talk about soulful power as being different from ego based or egoic power power yes. I, in my in my terms it would be power over versus power with that you're yes. talking about power with yeah how do we know or how do you know when you're operating in soulful power what does it feel like yeah, well, and and I want to say too that I, in watching your your TED talk, I was I was struck by that by how much similarity there was in the in the two systems. Your four bullets and four gifts is very comparable, can be overlapped over my system of of you know worldly power, egoic yeah. power versus spiritual power or soulful power. Yeah, and Brené Brown talks about you know, guarded mm-hmm. leadership versus daring yeah. leadership. And it's, the, it's all the same stuff kind of, kind of coming up in the early mm-hmm. 21st century here. Yeah. 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 And it makes sense. Like if we mm-hmm. look at the world, we're, we're having all of us as a species, we're having to like revisit this conversation about how do we want our leadership to look like? How do we want this relationship to power globally and personally to, to be like, and do we want it to continue being this hierarchical power over that requires for for us to push somebody down, step on them, force them, use fear or manipulation to get what we want, uh, put our knee to their neck in order mm-hmm. to prop ourselves up and feel powerful, or do we want to do this in a different way, right? And and there's some assumptions that this worldly power makes that are just that, that are false assumptions. Mm-hmm. Like I think I think part of the reason is is that you know we this worldly power or your your four your four bullets. It's coming from the belief that there's a limited amount of it, that there's powers at zero-sum games. That's why it has to be a win-lose in your system. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you're allowing you to win, then that means I lose. You have to lose in order for me to win. Right, right. Yeah. So your having power takes away from mine. But wait a minute, who said? Why would, why would your having power take away from mine if I know who I am? If I'm, if I'm secure in my power, I can stand free and celebrate you being in your power too. Yeah. And and then that that t- goes into the power with. If if we're coming from that assumption, then I can support you to step into your power. It's a win win. We can right. it can be inclusion rather than oppression, like like you talk about. So again, so how do you know what does it feel like for you when you are operating from that from that soulful power stance from that base? Yeah, you know it's a it's a, it's a really interesting question because it it feels powerful, but there's there's nothing to prove. 
The ego is by nature defensive and, and walks around incredibly guarded. And, and, and especially as men, um, as you know, we've gotten into this place of walking around like not feeling robots. And we think that that's powerful, right? Because, because we were conditioned as kids that the emotions were weakness. Uh, so to feel means that, you know, little boys don't cry, only little girls cry. So it's a really twisted way of, you know, of learning what it means to be a man in a very primitive way. And so, so we think, you know, we walk around like feeling like this guarded and feeling robotic way that is powerful, where it's not. To me, that is prison. Right? That, that yeah. is repression, to use one of your, your words. Whereas if we use that, that approach of just like allowing the opening, you know, our arms to open, we can drop into our authentic selves. We can be relaxed and we can have this, this if I know who I am, if I'm in my, my power, my relationship with life is more like, hey, life, I got this. Whatever you throw my way, I'm going to be able to deal with it. I got it. And, and that's very freeing. It's very empowered, but it's a very relaxed way of being. It's not protected by layers and layers of, of armor. Well, and Charles had kind of a semi-mystical experience last night and was informed by a magical stranger that he was worthy of all of these things that he's carrying, that he's trying to do, that he is both enjoying and stressed out about. <laughs> and I, I couldn't help but think of that when you were just speaking of when you're in your power and you're saying that yes to life. And there's, it sounds like you are worthy of all the good that's in your life and you're powerful enough to handle the unexpected things in your life. And yeah. you're yeah. more dancing with life rather than battling it and terrified that you're going to lose. Exactly. It's, it's the, I love how you frame that. It, and it's the difference between having a paranoid relationship with life. Like, oh my God, when's the next shoe going to drop? And and what life did to me, if it only hadn't been for this or that, then I would be happy. If it only wasn't for the system, the way things are set up or what happened to me when I was 10 or whatever, then I would be then I would be fine and I would be okay and I would be happy and all that. But that attitude, by definition, is giving our power away. Yeah. Mm. Because we're holding something or someone outside of us responsible for our state of being. And that's giving away our power. Whereas the other relationship is kind of pro-noia instead of paranoia. It's the belief that life has a vested interest in us, that life has our back. And, and then it becomes what you're talking about, Kelly, this, this beautiful collaborative dance with life. Mm. And just a footnote, are you familiar with Rob Bresney and pro-noia? I have. Uh, yes, I have. I know his work. Yes, because he's wonderful. If anybody out there is up for a, a sort of a side, a side alley to this conversation, Rob Bresney is on social media and he's got a book. He's got a couple of books called Pronoia Part One, Part Two, and they're wonderful and weird and magical. And <laughs> yeah, we'll put, we'll, put we'll put links to his, yeah, his social media notes. and the books. In the show notes, yeah, I love that term paranoia. And this is again, this is a, just a great fit, you know, with with the uh, interview with Dr. Marissa Pay. Yes, her exactly. understanding of her too. you know a universe that has your back, mm -hmm. a loving yes. universe. You are loved, lovable, loving, and also so not <clears throat> not expecting someone else to make things okay for you. 
And, and that's one of the reasons, that's probably the ultimate reason why this work that we're talking about is heroic. It's, it's, mm. it's easy to go through life feeling done to, you know, poor me, mm -hmm. woe is me, what my mom did or the, my dad didn't do or the minister, society, sexism, racism, homophobia. It's like, it's very easy to go through life like that. All of those things are true. Yeah. And all of those all things of are terrible. True. And they are yes. happening to yeah. us yes. all the yes. time. And it, and it doesn't make it okay. It, it's right. not making any of it okay or denying any of it. Right. And like we were saying before, if we're holding our, our state of being dependent on what happened or, or, or the way the system is set up, then we just gave our power away. And so what you're talking about and pointing to is like ultimate personal responsibility. And that's the stuff of heroes. Like it sucked what happened. Some of the way that, that things are set up right now suck and shouldn't be and, and, not, and are not sustainable. And how are we going to show up in response to that? Yeah, you know, I, I just want to describe your book a little bit more to people listening and, and especially anybody who's listening going like, yeah, but it is really hard and I don't know how to let go of this sense of betrayal, this sense of victimhood, this sense of uh, woundedness, whatever it is. And I think that's what's amazing about your book is that it's a very, on the one hand, it's it's very spiritual and awakening and really practical in the way that you end each section and each chapter with um, some suggested, uh, you call them um, power practices. Yes, yeah. power practices. And just, you know, the idea that what we're all on is a hero's journey, which is just, I mean, as soon as I saw that, uh, that, you know, that made me really excited. I've been a big fan of Joseph <laughs> Campbell and yeah. Robert Bly, and I've been through men's work that's kind of centered around that. And I loved telling hero's journey stories to teenagers when I was mentoring them and feeling and when we tell those stories and the hairs, you know, stand up on our arms, there's just something really evocative about that messaging that the hero is not some other, that every hero's story is a story about the human journey through difficulty, doubt, yes, obstacle, healing, and then giving. And that, yes, you know, I'm really yes. excited, you know, your book trilogy is really in line with what we're doing, trying to do here at, at the, at the Here Together mm -hmm. podcast. And that we talk about all the time. All the time. That won't stop. Self-actualization <laughs> so we can have healthy relationships, so we can be of service to the world, so we can, we can be engaged in community. So that's really powerful. And I just want to, again, say to the, you know, anybody in the audience who's like, but, 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 mm. you know, check out Christian's book. You know, even just look at a sample chapter on Amazon and yeah. look at some of those power practices and know that there is a way forward mm. out of victimhood. And I'm, I'm speaking, I, yeah, I played, I played yeah. the victim for years. That was my favorite game. And, and we still work on it. We still work on it. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. You've for had sure. a big break for breakthrough and have moved kind of in a, into a different space. And it's a constant thing. Yeah, it's a journey. It's a journey for sure. And 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 thank you for saying that. Uh, and and I'm like I walk my talk. Like I'm a really unlikely person to be speaking about heroism and personal empowerment. My my adolescence was one long depression with yeah. with mm. suicidal fantasies. And these days, you know, having gone through this journey that I share about and, and the teachings that I share and the process that I that I share about in the book, it's like no matter what happens in my life. So no matter the details, no matter the circumstances, a relationship works out or it doesn't. 
a project succeeds or it fails, in quotes. No matter what happens, I never question my sense of self. Mm. Like that is like permanently established. Like I know who I am and, and so I can have that open relationship with life. Like, hey, yeah, one thing we can count on is life is going to continue throwing curveballs our way. That for sure, including a pandemic that nobody or at least very few people saw coming. So life, that's going to continue personally and, and collectively. So the thing that is like, how do we show up? In yeah. response to that, and when we frame it like that, we're we're popping out of victim consciousness. Yeah, yeah. And you said sense of self, and and for some folks that might be conflated with or confused with the ego. And you, the whole first quarter or third of your book, you talk about the ego, and in some cases, you describe the ego as something to be really closely monitored, something to be healed, something to be kind of ignored, that you describe the ego as something that can actually be a bit of a trickster and yeah. uh, kind yeah. of create a false sense of healing and spirituality. Yeah. 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 What's the difference between the ego and this sense of self you're talking about? Yeah, and that's such a, an important question because there's so much confusion in the world about what the ego is. Like Most of us who know the word will think arrogance inflated sense of self and it is that but it's a whole more than that a lot more than that and then maybe if we took psych 101 in college we might think oh freud's model of personality the the id the ego the super ego and there's some things that apply but but the way that i'm really talking about the ego is more derived from eastern teachings and and it's it's our sense of individual personality like if we think about the latin name for us it's homo sapiens sapiens which we can translate as humans who know that we know. So that ego is that part of the mind that, that kind of makes sense of and, and organizes and synthesizes sensory information and, and can reach into the past and can project into the future and somehow weave all of that into a coherent sense of self. I'm Christian, this is Kelly, right? It, it's both a huge leap in consciousness. As far as we know, we're the only species that has a sense of self, a sense of who we are, that sense of individual personality. There are some theories that the elephants and the higher primates and the dolphins and the whales have a sense of who they are, but we don't really know about that. We know that we do. It's, so it's a huge leap, and it's also the source of all our pain and suffering. Because with that sense of individual identity also comes alienation, abandonment issues, loneliness, sense of mortality, all that kind of stuff. So it's it's a mixed bag. and Defensiveness, so uh, yes. the need to participate in hierarchy. Yes, yeah. victimization, all that kind of stuff. Uh, feeling like there's something wrong with us, all that stuff that we all intimately know because that's we're all hardwired that way. And so the thing about the ego, here's the great metaphor to understand what the ego is. If, if you put a baseball, in the center of a stadium, that's what the ego is. Who we are is actually the stadium. And we've mm. allowed this tiny, 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 tiny part of who we are to think that it is all who we are and to make some really critical, important choices about our lives, about our relationships, about what we do and don't do from its very, very small and always fear-based perspective. So if we want to step into our power, if we want to have relationships that have a chance at working, if we want to have a life that is filled with meaning and purpose, it is critical to understand how this self-made prison, because that's what it is, how it works, so that we can let ourselves free from it. Mm. Wow. Wow. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that seems like a t- place to take a pause. Yeah. And I just want to, before we do take ponder, a pause, I, I just, I just want to point out that you know that you're you're having a spiritual conversation with a Cuban American when the metaphor is about baseball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. I like that. <laughs> we'll be right back with more from Christian De La Huerta. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. It's really just a huge pleasure to share this kind of content with all you all and and knowing that it's going to create ripples and, and waves out there in the world. You know, and this is really part three of the Spiritual Warrior series that we didn't yeah, plan. These they kind of come in waves, don't they? Yep, yep. I love it. So I just want to point you right back at episode 76, How to Be 88% Happy with Dr. Marissa Pei. You know, although the title is about happiness, we talked about power and racism and love and justice. So definitely spiritual warrior content. Definitely. And I also want to point you to episode 77, How to Live for Social Justice with the Reverend Reverend Dr. Marsha Ledford Esquire. Dr. Marsha is a civil rights lawyer. That's the Esquire part. And Mm -hmm. she is also an Episcopal priest. That's the, and a PhD. So that's Mm -hmm. the Reverend Dr. part. Mm -hmm. And again, she's got it all going on. She's got it all going on. And again, the conversation was a combination of focusing on the inner work and our own spiritual, emotional growth. And then how do we make sure that we turn that into change out in the world? And although both Kelly and I are uh, pagans, heretics, agnostics, heathens. We respectfully decline. We respectfully decline, but but we respectfully, you know, took up that that partnership with an Episcopal priest. So yeah. she's she makes it very easy to be in conversation, and we have a ton of respect for her and affection for her, and the work that she's doing blows our minds. So check those episodes out so that you have the full trilogy. Yep. You can also join our Facebook group, the Here Together Community Lab, to hang out with like-minded hotties, hear more from our wonderful guests, and be the first to know any breaking Here Together news. We also go live most Saturday mornings, it's kind of nine-ish Arizona time, with the Science Report, in which we share our progress or our not progress, depending, uh, with the week's assignment. It's the perfect place for you to chime in. Let us know what you're up to. Are you doing the science? Did you like the episode this week? Whatever's going on with you, pop in and say hi and let us know what's going on. Become a part of the Here Together community for sure. Oh, we would love that. All right, let's get back to this big old conversation Mm. with Kristen De La Huerta. So good. Welcome back, everybody, to the Here Together podcast. We had uh, another little mini session in between there while we were doing <laughs> yeah. the while you were listening to the mid roll. Trust us, it was wonderful. And just the the first question we want to ask after we talked about the the ego work and and this book about you know getting you know from that disruptive obstacle ego into you know more of our heroic nature. How does how does breath work fit in? Because that's that's been your your mode when we first talked in the kind of the, the get acquainted chat, you talked about the incredible healing power of breath work. Does it does it fit in with this work as well? Yeah, completely. In two ways. You know, I was at a my dad was a psychiatrist, my degrees in psychology. I was on a track to get a PhD. And when I discovered breath work, I jumped tracks. 
I never went for the PhD because it works so fast and heals so profoundly in so many ways. And I've yet to come across anything that heals past trauma as quickly and as effectively as it does. And I'm talking serious stuff. And I've worked with, I can't even count how many people I've worked with who have had severe abuse issues, sexual abuse, who have experienced violent stuff happen to them, and it gets healed. And, and part of the reason that, that the talk therapy, with all due respect, in the right hands and with clear goals, it can be really healing. And we all know that you can sit on somebody's couch for 20, 30 years, rehashing the same old crap, and nothing happens. The reason for that is that that trauma no longer lives in the head. So no amount of talking about it is going to really get to it. It's like, yeah, it helps to understand what happened to us when we were five and the effect that it has. But the core trauma has been somaticized and lives in the body. And so a practice like breath work clears it. And it, and it is just, it's humbling. It's amazing how quickly it works. Um, and so that is the main reason to do it. A side benefit of that is that a lot of people will also, in, in breathing in this particular way for a particular period of time, will experience themselves as the stadium. As the stadium. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So it pops us out of, of the little ego mind, the little baseball, and suddenly we feel like a sense of interconnectedness. People often will see themselves floating through the cosmos as part of the cosmos. And, and we also, because time and space live in the ego, people have amazing experiences of connecting with loved ones who are no longer in body. Uh, sometimes they have visitations, communication with, you know, what we call deities or angelic beings or something like that. But it happens a lot. So to put it in a really mundane terms, they, they trip. <laughs> you know, a lot of people will tell me that. I went to, the, they, they'll say, I went to the same place that I did when I had this sacred plant medicine experience. Mm. Wow. 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 And it sounds to me like going from the baseball to the stadium, isn't that what the hero's journey is in essence? Yeah, you could say that. I mean, yeah, you could say that. that the, I mean, the, on on some level of like you leave your little life in your tiny yeah. village and you go out and you see the world and you learn who you are in a bigger context. And maybe people don't all make it to stadium level on their on their journey. But it, I don't know. It just occurred to me that that that's that expansion is could be considered a hero's journey. And so many people, so many people talk about, you know, the star Wars movies as mm -hmm. a great example of the hero's journey. And that's actually where it ends up for Luke, right? I mean, he ends up the stadium. He is able to yes, yes. be at one with the universe floating above his rock, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and project himself anywhere and to be of service to his yes. people at, at, at the cost of his corporal, mortal corporal yeah. life. Yeah. Back to back to that martyrdom we were talking about. <laughs> yeah, in the ultimate sense, I think absolutely. Uh, and the hero's journey doesn't have to go that to go to those levels. Like, like you could be like like Simba, who who was exiled uh, mm. from from the pride, and you know he became just a, a mess, uh, acting out and just fooling around. And then he had like you know he had adventures, he had encounters, he had allies, he had enemies that he had to to struggle with and in the process discovers who he is 
and somehow then is guided back to, you know, overcomes all that adversity and is guided back to go to the village and reclaim his rightful place as, as the king of the pride and uh, bringing back wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Yeah. So let me ask you this, Christian. Why do I need to be a hero? Like, is this personal power, is this hero's journey for everyone? If I'm just a mailman or a nurse or a teacher or a bus driver, a graphic designer, a graphic for, the designer local for a library district, do I do I need to go through this hero's journey? What or can you avoid it? Yeah, can I? <laughs> sure. So, just um, live a quiet life, coming, going to work, and coming home, and watching sure. TV and digging in the yard. Sure, which, and we know a lot of people do. But it takes, in order to be able to do that, it takes either a lot of numbing out and medicating ourselves in the many ways that we medicate ourselves, whether it's drug or alcohols or TV or gaming or buying or sex or shopping, all the ways that we distract ourselves and avoid thinking and avoid dropping into who we are. Uh, so yeah, of course, it's, it's, that's why the, what we're talking about is heroic, because it takes work. It takes courage to go inside, to look at ourselves, to understand who we are, to, to, to know why we do the things we do, to understand our triggers, to, to understand the relationship patterns, you know, why we understand the situations in which we give our power away. You know, is, do we tend to give our power away in romantic, intimate, sexual relationships? Or do I tend to give our power away in authority, you know, with authority figures, parents, bosses, coaches, ministers, that type of thing? So it takes work to, to look at it. It takes courage to go inside and sometimes remember things that are not fun to remember and to struggle with. with you know, facing our own inner demons. So that's the heroic part of it, that the rewards are indescribable and infinite. And basically, if you're going to wrap them up into one word, it's freedom. So that we no longer have to be making choices out of unhealed past traumas and stuff that happened to us when we were five or 10 or 15, and that we can bring choice back into the equation. And we get to be who we are, wherever we are, and, and choose what our life is going to be about and what we do with it and what, and attract the kind of relationships that actually have a chance at working. Hmm. Hmm. And then be able to be of service. I mean, you speak very yes. clearly at the yes. beginning of, at the beginning of the book, you know, you lay out what's happening in the world, Yemen, Syria, you know, Myanmar, you know, all the, all the things that are wrong with the world, the sexism and violence against women, the, you know, climate change and the death of species, uh, we kind of need some heroes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a it's lot. A, <laughs> a lot. lot of them. It's, it's yeah. all hands on deck. You know, as if anybody listening to this has had the slightest inkling, the slightest suspicion that they have work to do as teachers, as healers, as promoters and activists for change. Like this is it. This is the time that we've been waiting for. You know, the planet's going to be fine. It might take a few million years Life will continue. Life will find homeostasis again. I would even guess consciousness will continue, right? Maybe it turns out to be an intelligent, enlightened cockroach planet. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, right? Whether we make it, hmm, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's the question. We're just now beginning to witness whatever it is that we have unleashed on the environment, of which yeah. COVID is a symptom of our, our relationship to nature. 
so that's why it's all hands on deck. Yeah. And 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 that's why it's so important to to reclaim our power and to step into our heroic roles because there is where our fulfillment, like a real profound ultimate fulfillment lies and because the world needs us to. Mm. So you you have talked uh, a little bit about masculinity and femininity is it is this different for men and women at all you know i the journey of empowerment and the hero's journey i think is the same uh, for everybody and and i start the book out by the way by saying that i'm going to use hero generically because heroine smacks of something else and and you know to go back and forth and he she it's it's Mm -hmm. it's, it can be tiresome for the reader so i i jump back and forth between gender in the book and, and the giving of the examples and stuff like that so we all struggle with with power. We all give it away, um, and we have all abused it. And and so, but there is the book is for everybody, but has a particular message for women, in the sense that I believe and and I'm convinced that this empowerment of women is the single most most important thing that needs to happen in the world. It's not to put women up on a pedestal. We know women are also capable of abusing power. It's not to give women more stuff to do and clean up the mess. It's just because we have, as a species, we've been working really off kilter, really off balance between the genders. And and it goes back to this conversation about power over versus power with. Power power over is a very very patriarchal uh, relationship to power. It's very about control, fear, domination. So I'm going to push you down. Um, I almost used the F word. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. We're okay. We're okay with that on this okay, podcast. Okay, good. Right. It, it's that fuck or, fuck or kill relationship to mm-hmm. life, right? Um, and so whereas the feminine, which we have labeled, mislabeled as weakness. And just to address that really quickly, if you want to talk power, let's talk about the power of creation that lies in the, in the body of a woman. That's power. And, and to paraphrase, I'm not going to do her justice, but Betty White, in, in her infinite humor, you know, she, she, she was talking about why we tend to, uh, somebody said about something about having balls. And she said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, let's talk about that. Because if you thump those little things, the guy collapses over in pain. If you want to talk power, let's talk, let's talk vaginas. Those things take a pounding. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, and yeah. The, the abdominal muscles and the pelvic floor yeah. muscles that like push a baby out. Yeah, that's gnarly. Oh and, then, <laughs> and then you can function after that. Oh right. my god! Right. Right. Yeah, and then you want to go back for more. It's like yeah. uh, <laughs> people. Some people do it over <laughs> and over again. My mom did it nine times. Oh my lord! Nine kids. I can't even imagine one. Uh. Uh-uh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't do it, and I'm okay with that. But Good for you. Yeah, my my yeah. hat is off to people who can do that. Yes. So so anyway, when women are in fifty percent of power in this world, we're going to have a very different relationship to war and poverty and hunger and social justice and wealth distribution and how we treat the environment to all of it. So that's when I think about strategically one thing that we could focus on an impact. That one thing will impact many others. Yeah. Yeah. Just look at how countries led by women have fared with COVID. Like, oh my God, my God, Jacinda in, in New Zealand, like what an example of leadership, strong, powerful leadership, and yet not in a power over, I'm going to tell you what to do in my way or the highway, cowboy mentality. thing. Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah. And the Harvard Business Review just came out with an article that uh, indicated that women in general just score better on what we now accept are leadership skills. You know, sort of the definition of leadership skills has changed over the last four years and women just they just do better. So, you know, calling out to the to the men listening right now, a if you're you know, so if you're feeling defensive, a remember, it's not win lose. It's win win. That's Women right. being more powerful doesn't mean that men are going to be less powerful. Exactly. Exactly. And B, learn from them. They're, yes. they're scoring better. <laughs> Get some mentorship. Get some mentorship on leadership skills from a woman. Yeah. And well, let's talk a little bit more about that because this patriarchal, toxic masculinity way of expressing power is not working for women, obviously, but it's not working for men either. So, you know, if we look at the numbers, Suicide rate in this country, four times as high, four times as often for men. And 70% of the suicides in this country are committed by white men, white middle-aged men. Yeah. Longevity. Yeah, the, the winners don't even win exactly. in patriarchy. Exactly. And, and the, the longevity issue, like women outlive men by five years in this country globally by seven years. Yeah. Mm. So the system is not working for men. Yeah. Yeah. And it can it can work for men. You know, we talked, you know, you talked earlier about what it felt like to be um, watching somebody flourish and to take up their power and to be, to be able to stand to one side and, you know, be in your own power and feel wonderful about it. And that's, that's my experience as well. When I see Kelly flourish, when I see a teen who I'm working with flourish, when I, you know, uh, I brought a, I brought a young person up on stage with me for a keynote and had her deliver part of the keynote instead of just this white guy delivering the whole thing. And that was, you know, that was way better for everybody than just me up there going. Mur, 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 mur. <laughs> so yeah, yeah it, it gives me a lot of joy to, to share power and to see it expand. To foster it. To foster yeah, it. in others. Yeah. Exactly. So did you, did you get your, the answer to your question, Kelly? Do you, do you know now why you have to be a hero? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, dang it. Freedom? (laughs) Yeah, stupid freedom. (laughs) And And I got to do my part. All hands on deck. All hands on deck. We need to make an all hands on deck t-shirt. I will make one. I like that. So, you know, one of the things that that you alluded to earlier is, you know, the, the trap of victimhood. And, and we did give a nod to the fact that, yes, people are in challenging situations. Yes, childhood trauma is real. Yes, oppression is real. Marginalization is real. What, how do we uh, drop that victimhood to find power? Or how do we drop the, the anger and the, the frustration to, to come into alignment with, with soul power when there is actual injustice? Oof. I mean, so now you're talking heroic stuff. Right? Mm-hmm. Now you're really talking about how do we do that? How do we forgive what feels unforgivable? Like, how do we do that? Because that's the thing. I'm not dogmatic about many things. I'm actually dogmatic about three things. And, I'm, and it's not even being dogmatic because I'm open to seeing it a different way if I'm shown a different way. But right now, I don't see it. If you want to be free, if you want to step into your own power, there's three things that I just don't see how you can do it without doing these three things. All right. Going with it. If you want to, I mean, it's almost cliche to say that if you want to love somebody else, you have to love yourself. If you want to be loved, you've got to, got to love yourself. The only way you're going to do that is knowing yourself. The only way you're going to do that 
is diving in and, and being willing to do that heroic work of, of knowing who you are and why you do the things you do. Second one is forgiveness, right? Because I don't, as long as we're holding somebody over the fire for what they did or didn't do, our hand is also getting burned. Oof. And we've heard this. You know, we've heard this, that forgiveness is for us, right? Because, because of that. And another, way, another great image or metaphor, if you think of the heart, like the heart can't close selectively. So if you think of the heart as the iris of the eye or, or the shutter of a camera, I can't shut it just to the ex who left me for somebody else or, or to father, to mom who did this or dad who do, didn't do that or the boss who fired me. If I shut it, I shut it. Right. And, and so it's not even about what they did. This is about me and my heart and about my heart and life, about my heart and love. So when, when we're refusing forgiveness, we're still giving our power away, our ability, our ability to love and, and receive love. We're giving that away. Wow. Um, mm. So so how do we do it? Right. So I learned this from a teacher that I studied with. Forgive two syllables, flip them around. Give four. So what we're doing when we forgive somebody else or ourselves, which is often even more difficult to do, is we're giving them the space to be human, to fall short of the mark, to make mistakes, to make a royal mess of things, right? The ego went to law school, appoints itself (laughs) judge, jury, and prosecutor, and it is so self-righteous. It knows exactly what you did that was wrong and why and what the punishment should be, and appoints itself as the one who delivers the punishment. So what we're doing when we forgive, we're just, all, all it takes, it, it's not easy, it's heroic, but it's if getting off that stance of being right and putting in a question mark. Hmm. Like, that's all it takes. It's like, all right, I can't see it. I can't imagine I would ever do that. But maybe if I had been raised by their parents and the way they were raised and the, the way their parents before them were raised in their culture at their time with whatever information they had access to, who knows what was going on with everybody's brain biochemistry and substance abuse. And maybe, maybe I too might have turned out the same way. I too might have done the same. I don't think so, but maybe. Even that maybe gets us off that self-righteous, I would never, ever be that way. And it begins to bridge that, that separation that harsh judgment, and it begins to soften everything. And, and it makes space, begins to make space for, for real forgiveness to happen, which happens in the heart and not in the head. But it's got to start in the head. Well, let me, let me, because that's really, that's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard when it comes to, when it comes to big systemic stuff for me, just speaking for myself, you know, it's like, know. you know, my, I was, I was bullied as a little kid and, and part of my work was forgiving those bullies who were, who remain essentially, they're still eight years old, right? Cause they're, they're still in my head as eight years old. So I'm not forgiving the adults. I don't even know the adults. I'm forgiving those, <laughs> right. that, I, that I can do from this relatively healthy adult perspective. I can forgive those eight year olds because I know that they were in households that weren't safe for them. I know that they didn't get all the food that they need now. I know that. Right. But when I think about forgiving people who indulge in white supremacy. When I think about forgiving people who are actively spreading lies that damage the public health. When I think about people who. Well, abuse their privilege. Abuse their privilege. uh, In all sorts uh, of ways. You know, gather together other groups of men to, to harass women and make them afraid. Mm -hmm. I, I, I feel so powerless about all of that, that I cling to my judgment 
of them. Yeah. Um, in order to, I think to, in order to feel some righteous power and the idea of forgiving them or, 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 or imagining or trying to put myself in their shoes or to, to imagine that maybe that would have happened to me if, if I'd been in their same situation. Right. Just to what mind. replaces that, that yeah, sense well, of power if you give it up? That's exactly yeah. that crappy power. Right. If you <laughs> right. let that go, then what do you have? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's my fear. That's my mm. fear. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's so understandable. It is really, really hard, nothing short of heroic to do. Like, mm. it's, it's the stuff of Damn heroes. I know. <laughs> I oh. know. <laughs> it sucks, but that's yeah. the key to freedom, right? And so first of all, we'll say mm. it one more time. It doesn't make what they did okay. It's not about rationalizing it or, or, or letting anybody off the hook. It's not about that. And especially with the systemic stuff that you're talking about. But it begins, if we don't do that, then we stay in this us against them, right? This otherization yeah. uh, and this judgment of the other, which is like we're seeing it to the max. And if we're going to play in the level, in the, in the game field of the stadium, we're, we're you know, beyond individual identity. That means that we're all interconnected and that we're all ultimately one. Right. So, but so what that means, we're all the stadium. (laughs) Yeah. And it means that inside us, inside us is Mother Teresa and the Dalai Lama and Gandhi and Hitler and et cetera. Mm -hmm. Right. That means everybody is inside of us. All breathing the same argon. Yeah. We love that argon. That was so great. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Isn't that amazing too? And just, so for your audience briefly, the element of argon is immutable, which means that we breathe it in and it comes out as the same old boring argon that's been around for eons. <laughs> so what that means is that the argon that's going through our lungs right this moment, it's the same argon that went through the lungs of, of the pterodactyl and the saber tooth tiger and the woolly mammoth and the ancient Hebrew prophets and the Hindu saints and uh, the Buddha and Confucius and Jesus and Mary Magdalene and all the light bringers and all the light carriers and the prophets and the greatest artists and the sci- greatest scientific minds. And our next door neighbors. <laughs> exactly. Like everybody has breathed that argon. Everybody right this moment. Yeah. yeah. Right this moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's going to be a practice that I'm going to take mm. on is just, taking a few breaths each day and, and thinking about the them who I identify and, and sharing my argon well, here, with, let's take, with let, them. Yeah. Let's take it to the extreme, right? Terrorism. Yeah. Nobody listening to this is going to wrap their bodies up in, in explosives and go to the center of a mall and, and detonate ourselves. You right? listening, everybody? Nobody go <laughs> do that. Do it. <laughs> we are just not going to do that. Right. It wouldn't cross our minds to do that. So it's really hard to think, oh, my God, I would never be that way. It's really it's really either to separate ourselves from that. But let's let's expand what that means. Have we ever terrorized ourselves? Of course we have. All the time. (laughs) Every single one of us. We are so mean and so cruel. Yeah, and I've sabotaged myself. I've I've Mm -hmm. I've blown up my own bus. Oh, my God. Yeah. How many times? Metaphorically. Oh, yeah. How, how uh, many this times? This week? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so 
So yeah, so that terrorist is in here too. It yeah. just looks different. People who are, are out of options are the kind of people who blow stuff up. Exactly. And who feel powerless. Yep. Who feel so powerless. Like that's the only thing that I could think of doing. Mm-hmm. To get some, to get the attention of the world. Mm-hmm. Yikes. So there's the connection for me because what I started off talking about is how I feel so powerless when I think about or see the misogynists, the racists, the white supremacists. I, I feel powerless, as do they. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Yes. Well, let's take another break yeah, with that. Let's, let's process <laughs> that for a minute. <laughs> we'll be right back with more breathing, more argon. Yeah, more argon. <laughs> and uh, what else? A science. A science. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. We'll be right back, everybody. You know that every week we've got fascinating information on our guest background and a deeper dive into related topics in our show notes. We do that just for you to make your life easier and more delicious. This week, you'll find a feelings chart to print out and use for this week's science, which mm-hmm. you'll get to listen to in just a second. You'll find out all about it. There'll be a link to Christian's TEDx talk and his websites and his book. So you can join one of his retreats or join his coaching program. And we're also just going to plug my TEDx talk because Christian referenced it at the beginning of this interview. I feel like that's he a fair. your TED talk. I know. That's great. That's so cool. That's great. Yeah, I hope more people do as well. And then we'll include, as usual, a curated reading list who are ready for a deeper dive into spiritual warrior action. Action! I guess reading... Well, no. Yeah, reading a book is actually an action, so go for and do that. You can always find the latest show notes at here-together.us slash pod for the latest episode, or go to here-together.us slash library for the show notes from our full catalog of episodes. Right, back to wrap up the show, hear the vision and hear Christian's science challenge. It's a nice, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a doable one. Yeah. It's not as intimidating as uh, some of the ones that we've had lately. Not as challenging. I don't want to say intimidating. Not as challenging. Yeah. It's you can super say du- you can say intimidating. Why am I trying, I felt intimidated why am I trying to tell of, you how to yeah. feel? Am I not yeah. listening to this podcast at all? <laughs> but seriously, it's very doable. Great, let's get to it. And welcome back to Here Together. We're here with Christian de la Huerta, the author of Awakening the Soul of Power, uh, the first of a trilogy of books that he's basically writing for us. Yeah. So we're really Thanks excited. Thanks for that, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> we really appreciate it. My honor, my, my pleasure, my privilege. And the, the first book is really about how do we get into a, a, a correct relationship with power? You know, talk about how the ego can can lead us astray, but also how there are there are paths to power or there are implementations of power that are incorrect, you know, passive aggressive victimhood, dominance, bullying, all these ways of exerting influence or, or getting one's way or staying safe that are not healthy. Right. Yeah. Power games, power games. Yeah, absolutely. Toward the end of the book, you talk about, you actually give us some steps for or some some paths they're not steps because there's too many of them and everybody would give up but you give us some paths to you know sort of authentic soul power and i'm just going to list them because i just thought the list was tremendous forgiveness is a path gratitude is a path self-discipline 
vulnerability, belief, self-expression, generosity, commitment, trust, congruence, truth, letting go, and surrender. Mm-hmm. Our paths to soulful power. Correct. Do you have a, a, a story or an example of either you or, or somebody you're working with using one of those paths mm. to, to find their way into some, some power, some soulful power? Oh my God, so many stories. While you're thinking, I just I just want to say I love that list. When I first mm. like oh, there's so many things on this list, and I was a little daunted and I'm like, no, this is this is what I want. This is what I, you know, this is what I want for my life. This is what I want for my relationship. This is what I want for my world. Trust, congruence, forgiveness, letting go, all of those things are lovely. So let me ask because I haven't read the book yet. Uh, if each of those is a path, is it did you mean that you can sort of follow one of those to wherever it takes you as opposed to like a checklist that you're like, okay, doing good in here, doing uh, vulnerability. Yes. And then, you know, I can check off three or four of those, but I still am crap at these. And (laughs) yeah, they're all they're they're, It's not necessary to master them all, Mm -hmm. but you know, let's talk about the, the, we've spoken about the victim and we spoke about vulnerability, which are, which are really, important ones let's talk about the other biggie which is surrender Uh, Mm. because that is such a another word that we have a lot of misunderstanding about we think surrender is giving up our power that's like throwing in the white towel and this one is more difficult to talk about here's a way that we can talk about it that weaves it back to the way we're talking about the ego the ego has usurped the place of the sun and it has placed itself as if it were the sun when the, when the ego is actually not even a sunbeam to the sun, to who we really are. So what we're doing on this journey of surrendering, if you would, is like disidentifying with a baseball and re-identifying with a stadium. And so what we're telling is like, hey, little ego, thank you. I know you're trying to protect me, but hey, you don't get to make these choices from your limited fear-based perspective. I've got this. And, and be reassured, we're going to be fine. Right? So we're actually removing it from its place as running the show, thinking that it is the sun and allowing it to be in service to the sun in, in this, the sun representing, you know, the, whatever you want to call it, the soul, the higher self, the, the, our own piece of unique sacred real estate that's, that resides inside each one of us. And so that's really what surrender is. It's like we're disidentifying with the little us and we're re-identifying with the baseball and it, counterintuitively is incredibly empowering, but it's actually the wills align. You're like our own personal will aligns with the sacred will, mm. uh, with the universal will. And, and so then it becomes this beautiful, magical, uh, sacred dance. And, and as we step into the realm of the stadium, magic happens, like things that our little egos could never, ever, ever, ever come up with. I call it divine choreography because I can't. My little mind could never come up with it. Hmm. And it's, I don't know what your experience has been like, Christian, but you know, part of, part of what I feel called to do is to explain to men in particular what it's like to put down the power over games, the, the win-lose games, the, the oppression and repression. And I'm over here saying, it's great. 
<laughs> and I just sort of imagine them on the other side of the the chasm or on an iceberg, you know, floating off. And I'm going like, put it down, put it. It's good. Yes. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's like, like, it's like that relates to letting go. Yeah. Right. The, the ego yeah. is, is a control freak. It's a micromanager. The real power is in letting go. Again, counterintuitively. But, you know, there's that, that story. I don't know if you ever read what was the name of that book? Um, Illusions. Um, yeah. Yeah. Richard Adventures Bach. by Richard Bach, right? And, you yeah. know, he starts that book with a great, beautiful story about the river people. And so there's a, a village of river people that live at the bottom of the river and their whole life is holding on to, to rocks because the current's buffeting them. And if they let go, who knows what might happen? You know, they're going to be swept away and they're going to be destroyed and die. So their whole life is holding on for dear life. Until one of them says, you know, I can't do this anymore. I can't hold on. This is no way to live. And they're like, saying, what are you talking about? You can't let go. You're going to be destroyed. You're going to, you're going to die. You're going to crash against who knows what's down there. And he goes, I know, I know, but I can't, I can't do this anymore. Then they pull in the big guns, the guilt guns. Look, well, what about us? How can you leave us? We might never see you again. Um, and she goes, well, I'm sorry. I love you, but I can't do this anymore. I can't live this way anymore. And she lets go. And sure enough. The current takes her and she's buffeted and she's bumping up against stones and hitting logs that are floating downstream. But what happens eventually, she stabilizes and she steadies. And now she's like floating up above everything and just kind of coasting downstream. It's like, huh, this is really nice. I can do this. This is beautiful. There's another village of river people downstream and holding on for dear life. And one of them glances up and, and goes, oh, look, a messiah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been a long time since I read that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think one of all. the I think one of the things that that people imagine and that unfortunately a lot of books like Illusions and Jonathan Livingston Siegel don't mention is that what really happens when we let go is that we find a community of people. It's not a lonely. It's not really lonely. Yeah. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, it can be disruptive. You know, families can come apart. You know, my, my, my relationship had to fall apart in order for me to go do that vision quest that we, that we were talking about, uh, during the break, but there's just, there's, uh, opportunities for solidarity and, oh my and, God. and community. I, oh my God. At levels that we can't even imagine that the baseball cannot even begin to conceive of. Right. And, and like real supportive community that is not threatened by somebody right. thriving or shining. Um, and so, and, and, and what a gift that is. What a gift that is. And, and again, we think that letting go or surrendering is disempowering, but no, that's, that's where the power is because we become at one with the flow yeah. of life, the flow of creation. Right. So, it's, so it's like empowered surrender. Mm. Empowered surrender. Love it. So Christian, if, if and when you know, everybody reads this book and everybody adopts, you know, some of these paths to awakened soulful power. What does the world look like? What do our families look like? What are our institutions look like? <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine? Right? Can you imagine in a world in which we can actually live rooting for each other rather than us against them? And, and can you imagine living in a world in which we're not driven by fear of not having enough, whether it's physical stuff or land or water or love or, or whatever it is, right? 
like, what a world, <laughs> what a world can we live in? And can you imagine what you were talking about? Can we imagine going through life with a, with a group of people who share that vision, who share that passion? I'm just having a, a taste of that right now. Uh, because of COVID, I had to launch a year long coaching program and started the first cohort in, in, in January. We, well, first quarter, we focused on understanding the ego and already, it is so beautiful to see the sense of community, how much support, how much compassion for everybody's struggles, how much people are checking in on each other and going way beyond what, what the course suggests that you do, just because it's, it's in our nature to be giving. It is our nature to, to be loving and to be, supportive, to be supportive of each other. It's just the little egos and it's fearful perspective that keeps us playing a different game. Yeah. COVID kind of made that made that real like oh yeah this game wasn't working anyway right <laughs> exactly it was a dumb game in the first place <laughs> exactly uh well we definitely share your vision and and we're excited mm-hmm. about it when's the next book coming out thinking now february so around valentine's of next year to release the book on relationships nice relationships and and intimacy right yeah Very yeah cool yeah we're looking forward to that and you've got a you've got a coaching program a new cohort starting in just a few days, right? Yeah, at the end of May. The end, I think the week of May 24th, we're starting a year long. And of course, I'll go back to doing retreats, you know, live as soon as we can. Because as you can imagine, breathing together powerfully in a room hasn't been, hasn't been possible in the last year. Uh, and the retreats do, are amazing. Are, do, are we going to have to reintegrate our relationship with our breath? Because even, even when we were watching your TEDx talk and you encouraged everybody to breathe, I made we're a like, joke. Ah! Yeah, I made a joke because all because I just see yeah. like a you know an aerosol mist you know in yeah. the room. Yeah, you know what what are we going to do to heal our relationship? What am I going to do to heal my relationship with my breathing. with my breath? Yeah, you know yeah. it goes back to what we started talking about. It's breath is spirit. Yeah, that's what it is. Ultimately, it's it's our most loyal, our most faithful companion on this journey of embodiment. It's like you know it's like. It's life. Breath is life. And if we look at so many spiritual traditions and we look at some secular languages, that same word means one or the other. So from from ancient Greek pneuma, we get both lung, that's what pneumonia comes from, and it it also meant soul. From the Latin spirata, we get both respiration and inspiration or expiration. Yeah. So it's that's, yeah, it's ironic. It's ironic that the solution to our problems, because it was not only COVID, but also the I can't breathe pandemic mm-hmm. of systemic racism last year. Yeah. Oof. So it's, it's pointing. I think it is pointing us to our breath, back to our breath. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So uh, can people sign up for your for your coaching cohort? Are there still slots available? Yeah. Yeah. We have a few slots left available. And oh, so I, what I started to say uh, is that what I'm loving about this concept, if I get to stretch out the teachings over the course of a year and, and deliver them piecemeal. Yeah. Because what I've noticed is people come to a retreat and they have this amazing, life-changing expansion. They understand themselves in a different way. They, the, we do breath work like four times, so the profound healing happens. And if they don't have a support system, when they get back home, so the, going back to your supportive community, if, if they don't have a practice, to, to help them remember little by little, you know, the day-to-day, the distractions of life start pu- pulling them down. And then those old voices of fear and self-doubt start creeping up again. And then they have to come to another retreat. In this year-long concept, bite-sized, right? Every week, a little bit of content. 
bite-sized piece. And the key, as you were talking about with the book, is the is the practices. Yeah. Right? Because reading a book is like, yeah, great to understand, but the transformation, which is what we want, comes from applying those teachings to our lives, from really integrating them into our lives. And that's what this course is allow, is, is designed to do. So a little bit of content, practices, and simple stuff you could do in, you know, the whole thing you could do in 30 minutes in a week. But it's, it's the, the day-to-day and then the accountability, right, that yeah. we all need. Mm-hmm. We all need. Like, so every two weeks we have coaching calls with me. And then in the intervening weeks, the, they're divided into dyads or triads. And they, it could be a simple five-minute, ten-minute check-in call. Hey, did you, set, did you do what you said you were going to do? And, okay, great. Have a great rest of your week. Or people are really loving that part of it. And they're developing deep connections and very loving, supportive relationships. Yeah. Christian, how can people find you if they want more information about the book or about uh, the, the coaching cohort or your retreats? Thank you so much for asking that. The book is available wherever books are sold, so Amazon or your local bookstore. In terms of how to reach me, probably the best way is to go to my website, and from there they can connect with the different social media and have a Facebook group called Unleash Your Inner Hero that's very supportive, and there's no fee involved in that. Um, and so the website is soulfulpower.com. Hmm. Nice. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And tell us the name of the uh, Facebook group. Unleash Your Inner Hero. Wonderful. Mm. Wonderful. Great. Well, thank you so much. But before we go, Kelly's going to remind me. (laughs) I was wondering if one of your little bite-sized practices would do for this week's science. Well, two things that come up for me. I mean, there's so many. One of us, you know, one of the, we're talking about the emotions and how important it is to to, like for me, 30 years ago, I couldn't tell you what I was feeling because I had no idea what I was feeling. And, and my father was a psychiatrist. And, and he, could, he probably couldn't even tell you. He was, he was great as a psychiatrist. I know that because I've gotten the feedback from people that used to work with him. But in terms of his own emotions, clueless. Mm. And so what I did is I printed out, I created and printed out a chart of emotions. And I'm going to put that in the next book. And then, I, you know, this is before we had cell phones. Now it's so much easier. I, I had a timer from, you know, that set it off every hour, put it in my pocket, go off in the hour and I pause, just take a minute, 60 seconds, not even that, 30 seconds. And I go through my list and said, am I feeling that? Uh-uh. Am I feeling that? Uh-uh. Am I feeling that? Hmm, maybe. And little by little, that's how I began to educate myself about my own emotional life, which we know, going back to your, your teachings, recent teachings on leadership. And professional development is key. Emotional mm. intelligence, EQ, is a thing now. So that's one great practice. And if you're going to do that, you might as well take 15 seconds and drop a breath practice in there too. <laughs> right? 15 seconds, just slow down your breath. What we, what we did in the beginning. What we did in the beginning, just guide yourself through that. Mm. Nice. That's great. That's great. So many of our guests have included breath work as part of their science. And it just, it seems like part of, part of what there is some, there is some strange coincidence with COVID and a respiratory illness Mm -hmm. and this understanding that our breath is precious and not to be taken for granted and powerful, a powerful way to find who we are in the moment. Yeah. And guide us into the next moment. Exactly. Mm. Love it. Kristen De La Huerta, thank you so 
so much for sharing your time and your compassion and your uh, beautiful experiences with us and our audience today. And uh, we hope to hear from you again when the next book comes out. Oh my God, I would love that. And I would love to stay in touch, uh, Kelly and Charles. It's like, I've really loved our connection. I am so honoring of your, of your humility and the service that you do and, and the humility implicit, how you just take yourselves through, you know, and take on the teachings that all your guests break forth. That, that humility is powerful. And that yeah. vulnerability, as you know, is powerful. So thank you for all you do on all our behalf and for the many lives that your work is touching. And now I'm crying. <laughs> I feel um, loved and moved and inspired and connected mm. and grateful. And I feel honored to see, I feel honored to see your emotion. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And thank you, everybody. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for making this possible. Do you feel all melty, Charles? I feel melty. Is that a, is that a good thing? If you're a snowman, that's not a that, good thing. Yeah, no. Well, uh, maybe the return, snowman return, is the ego. Return, right, right. Melt into the oneness. <laughs> melt into the stadium. Yeah. So, what was it like uh, to have Christian answer your question? Your question was, "Do I have to be a hero?" You tried yeah. to ask it for a friend, but it's really about you. No, I know. I like. There's sometimes it seems like a lot of pressure to to step up and. Yeah, I'm like, well, can I not do this? But by gosh, he just makes a pretty good case for stepping up and doing the work and like freedom. Ah, gosh, it sounds pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Freedom, authenticity, community, you know, true belonging, you know, all all of those are rolled in there and all of those require... Yeah, they require work and they require, you know, putting the putting the ego in the right place. And and it's another way to fail. Right. It's like, oh, my ego's not in the right place. There I go again. Right. It's another way you, you can beat yourself up if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I definitely I definitely do that. But, you know, something that I noticed about this conversation with Christian, especially as I was going back over it to edit it, it's just like the amount of laughter and empathy when I was agonizing or when you were agonizing or just kind of blown away by the weight of something he would say, he would just go, yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Maybe that's why I feel melty. Yeah. He's like, dad, that's, that's the heroic work. Right. Not like, you know, buck up and do it, but like, yeah, that's why it's called the mm-hmm. hero's journey. Yeah. Cause it's not easy. And then there was also just all this laughter. Yeah. We were just laughing the so, whole way through. So much fun. But you know what it make, that makes me think of is, you know, kind of the adage of, well, I don't know, I'm too old to go back to college. Well, how old are you going to be in four years anyway? <laughs> you know, whether, <laughs> if, whether you do it or don't do it, the time's going to go by. And we suffer anyway. Like we suffer by not stepping up and not doing the work we might as well suffer in a direction that's helping us. I just had that thought when you were talking. So for whatever it's worth. And it's just the ego that's suffering. It's it's just the baseball that's suffering. Baseball soul suffering. Yeah. Poor little, poor little thing. Sad baseball. Yeah. The stadium's like, yeah, we can do the wave. Yep. Yep. We can do all kinds of stuff. We can have a big cheer. We can Mm -hmm. hold up placards. 
Yeah, so, you know, I think one of the attachments that we have, to put it in a Buddhist perspective, like we have an attachment to not suffering, which causes mm-hmm. us to, to suffer. suffer. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you all again for, for listening to this episode, and we'd love to hear what you think about this kind of content, whether you are finding it inspiring or daunting or intimidating, and, you know, whether you, it makes a change in your life or... Or even just makes you, you know, shifts you into pre-contemplation about mm-hmm. it for sure. Because upcoming, we've just got... Oh my gosh, we, we just, just got, got more a, and more and more. We just got more and more of this. So unless you tell us differently, this is what's going to keep happening. Yeah, so the next train will come. The, <laughs> the next phone will ring. I don't know. We've got so many metaphors. Oh, we're confusing everybody. Yeah, wait, yeah, wait until you wait until you hear the episode with Ponderosa Grove. You'll hear some crazy <laughs> metaphors. <laughs> but before but before that, I just want to mention that uh, upcoming episode with Angel Rebo is yes, should be in about a week. Spiritual warrior number four. Another spiritual warrior, just so incredibly positive. Mm. He's an inspirational man who lives this life of creativity and entrepreneurship and service. His energy will definitely lift your spirits oh my God, and open. His energy is unreal. Yeah. So good. It was a little, it was, we recorded it kind of late at night for us, but it was even later for him. And he was just like, all right, let's do this. Come on. Oh my gosh. We were pumped at the end of that conversation. Absolutely. And then a couple weeks after that, we will release the episode that we just recorded with Drew Hall and Candace Devine, two musicians, two local musicians who just formed a band, Ponderosa Grove, that they are taking around the world. Mm-hmm. They're doing it. They are. And it was uh, only the second post-COVID in-person interview. It was just lovely to fill the studio with really powerful, heart-open, driving music. So until next week, you can go root around on Christian's website, soulfulpower.com. You can purchase his book, join his new coaching cohort, so many options. What else, Charles? You can join his Facebook group, Unleash Your Inner Hero. I just did that uh, today. I'm really looking forward to, to content from from that group. I think it's going to be a bunch of, bunch of spiritual words. Heck yeah. New set of buddies. I love it. And a reminder about the science. You can go to our show notes and print out a feelings chart. Set your phone to go off several times a day so you can just check in with yourself and ask, what am I feeling right now? Also, take a breath. Oh, yeah. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at RocketFeather1. Join us in the Here Together Community Lab on Facebook if you want to contribute to the conversation, meet other like-minded hotties, and stay connected to all these really big, juicy ideas. This is Charles Matthews and Kelly Robert wishing you deeply grounded power and love-filled freedom. We are the stadium. And and we we love love you. you. The Here Together podcast is a project of Rocket Feather Creative. (laughs) 